I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Here in the sanctuary, there at home, our extended family. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. While you're turning there, I moved to Florida sometime in 1977. I want to say 1997. It just seems like yesterday. I'd been down there for a couple months and uh, got there at the beginning of summer. Uh, so by the, the beginning of the, the worst part, the hottest part of summer, I had a couple roommates, and we read there was a hurricane coming. I'd never seen a hurricane, uh, but I read that there were hurricane parties. So I kind of, I, I went to my roommates, and we were all from other states up north, and I said, hey, let's have a hurricane party. And they said, what's that? I said, that's where we go in and watch a hurricane come in. So I just kind of making it up as I went. So we all went to Cocoa Beach, and this was, I mean, fortunately, it was a Category 1 hurricane. When winds reach 75 miles an hour, uh, then it becomes a Category 1 hurricane. So we're standing on the beach, and, you know, we, we can see the clouds on the horizon, and there's a little bit of wind blowing, and then the wind picks up a little more. By the time the wind gets to about 35 or 40 miles an hour, the beach is no longer a comfortable place to be. But we were having a hurricane party. And by the time the winds got up to 75 to 80 miles an hour, we were looking for shelter. And I found myself holding onto a telephone pole for about six hours, watching one of my friends go tumbling by. And, you know, we, we were totally unprepared for what a hurricane was. And I had no idea what a hurricane party was, but by the middle of that hurricane, I knew this wasn't it. So you would think that I would have known that this storm was a bit more violent than I was anticipating, that I wouldn't have taken my friends uh, into danger. They were all just following me. It's a great idea. John's a party guy. He's a lot of fun to hang around with. That I would have been able to see the signs around me when the winds hit 35 or 40 miles an hour and said, maybe we need to get out of here. But I was ignorant. So the question becomes, when a storm is coming, how do we respond to this? Now, this is important to me because I told you last week that there might be some bad news, and I think, I think a storm is coming. And the question we're all going to have to ask is how will we respond to this situation? What will our response look like? So we've been talking about genuine love, and we know we're called to respond to genuine love, but what is genuine love? That's our question for last week. And last week we saw what genuine love was between friends and loved ones in the body of Christ, in our family. And we saw 12 indicators of genuine love. These are kind of no-brainers, but when you stop to think about it, you know, these things need a little bit of work. They require some effort. So we are to abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. We are to love each other, show each other honor, be zealous in in, in serving each other and showing his honor, be fanatical in our faith and our witness. We're to serve the Lord. We're to take joy and hope. And today, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is your hope. Say amen. Our, our hope isn't anywhere but in Christ. And if we believe that our hope lies somewhere else, we're going to end up sorely disappointed. Take joy in the hope that is Christ and the eternal calling that we have. We are to be patient. 
We are to pray unceasingly. We walk through our day in an attitude of prayer. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints, and we are to be hospitable. So at the end of that message, I, I wanted to emphasize that we are a body, that we need to be concerned about our situation, but we don't need to be uh, overwhelmed by it. We don't need to fret over it. There are things that we can do, even as we sit here virtually gathering together with three-quarters of, of our folks that are joining us today online. So what does that look like? Well, you, there are things that we can do together virtually and physically, and one of those is read our Bibles. Now, we're all not on the same reading plan. I get that. But we should be encouraging each other. We should be helping each other along the way. And it's somewhere in our conversation during the day, we say, what did you read in your Bible today? What, what, what challenged you? What's your favorite book? Yeah, so just being with each other and encouraging each other along those lines is a good thing. It's something we can do together. We initiated Pray Day. Wednesday is Pray Day. So we've got a list of people. If you're not on the list, please let me know. We'll get you on there right away. We want to pray for everybody that wants prayer. And uh, each Wednesday, we'll send out several names that we can pray for. Uh, I'll send along with those, with those names the prayer requests that come across my desk and, and a couple of prayer prompts. It's something we can do together. I suggest fasting sometime during the day, but that's up to you. We said, talk to us. We have counselors on hand. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're, if you're feeling without hope, give us a call. We need to encourage each other in that way. And if we need counseling, we can arrange counseling for you. And then, then we ask you to help us out. We need some help. We need some help here on the worship team. We need some help back there in the AV booth. You know, if, if you don't know how to do that, we can show you. But listen, if, if you're sitting there saying, I, I'm not called to sing or play an instrument. This technology overwhelms me. We need your help. Give me a shout. We'll find some way for you to get involved. We just need your help, and we enjoy being together, even though sometimes it's virtually. So our theme for the year is going to be let love be genuine. And that's why we're spending two weeks talking about what genuine love is. So this week, we have the same question we had last week. What is genuine love? This is part two. Uh, but this week, and I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be a challenge because it's fairly easy for us to envision genuine love amongst the people that we love. Amen? Uh, sometimes the people that we love can be a little bit of a challenge, and I'm sure sometimes we can be a little bit of a challenge to the people that we love, but that comes fairly easy. This week we're going to talk about what genuine love is between us and our enemies. Our enemies. And I'm going to tell you something. If there's any message that the culture around us was giving us this morning, it would be that our enemies need to be vanquished. They need to be beaten. They're thinking the same thing. It's not what the Bible says. So let's take a look at this. We're going to have nine indicators of genuine love toward our enemies. So just go through them one by one, starting in verse 14. The first one is bless your persecutors. Bless your persecutors. Watch this. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, the word for bless comes from the Greek word eulogete, 
okay? And it, it, it's where we get eulogy from. When you go to a funeral, you hear a eulogy. Somebody stands up, and they're supposed to say something nice about the person who died. This is the way that we are called to bless our enemies, to praise them, to speak well of, to speak well of who? Those who persecute us. That's a challenge. Well, what does persecute mean? It means to pursue with repeated acts of enmity. It means to chase somebody down and be mean to them. It means to try to hurt them. So we are to bless those who repeatedly try to hurt us. Well, this goes antithetical to anything that we would think is natural. So, and, 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 and Paul knows this as he writes through Romans. So he says, bless, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And to curse means to wish upon somebody evil or ruin. I need to think about this for a second. We don't wish upon somebody who's trying to do us harm, evil or ruin. I told you, this is going to be a challenge. Because our natural reaction is to lash back out. It's to say, we need to get rid of these people. We need to get them out of here. I mean, we're watching it happen 50 miles from here in Washington, D.C. Everybody's trying to get rid of each other. And it grieves me that some people are doing it in the name of the Bible. Jesus, when he gave the Beatitudes, he, he told us in, in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, as a body of Christ, we need to understand this because we have a hold of something eternal. We have a home with God forever, and they don't. See, they need prayer. They don't need condemnation. They don't need to be told what's wrong. They need to be told about Jesus Christ, and then we need to show Christ to them. Otherwise, we're living in what we, last week we talked about hypocrisy. So, that, 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 there's the first one. Bless those who persecute you. And I want you to watch how these begin to build upon each other as we go. As, 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 you, as you work at the first one, the second one comes naturally. Other doors begin to open. Bless those who persecute you. And number two, rejoice and weep with your enemies. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, the cultural implications of this are a little bit beyond us. But one of the things that we try and do uh, when we prepare a sermon is, is to try our best to determine what they call authorial intent. What was Paul trying to say to the people that were reading this letter? And they would have understood this perfectly because in Jewish villages, whenever some big event would come, they would set everything aside and the whole village would come together. They would, the whole village would mourn at a funeral. They would weep with those who were weeping. They would celebrate at a wedding or a birth. It was an expression of solidarity, an expression of oneness. But most of all, most of all, it showed compassion. 
It showed mercy. It showed a heart for those who were hurting and a heart of joy for those who were celebrating. It showed an interest in the welfare of the people around them. See, our, our enemies need that level of compassion. They need to see some mercy. They need to see some grace. So we're called to rejoice and weep with, with our enemies. Let's switch over to the pulpit mic. We're called, the third thing is to live in harmony. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So as we walk in this unity, as we have compassion for the people around us, as, uh, as we issue blessings and rejoice and weep together, we live in harmony with those around us. But watch this, it's not just those who are like us. We're called to live in harmony with everyone around us. But the culture that we're immersed on, not becoming a doormat, we don't, we don't just lay down and say, okay, take advantage of me, but we don't feel like we're better than them. We don't get this haughty attitude. We don't feel superior. We don't feel more righteous. We don't feel more correct. We don't feel smarter. And I know that a lot of us are saying, well, I don't do that. But it shows up all around us. How could you be so stupid to vote for that person? I can't believe that you people, whoever you are, I can't believe that you people believe that garbage. And what we're really saying is I can't believe that you're not as smart as me. I can't believe that you don't have all the wisdom and insight that I have. And implicit with that is the accusation that if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I'm right and you're not. Paul says, don't do that. Live in harmony. And even as we strive, because now, now we're into some real challenges, aren't we? Living in harmony with people that don't think like us, that have different ideologies, people that vote different than us, people that have a different lifestyle. Even as we strive to do that, even as we admit to ourselves that this is difficult, we need to recognize that we are human beings and we are living with human beings and all of us sometimes stumble. All of us sometimes lash out. All of us sometimes respond in anger. And when that happens, we run into our fourth item, repay no evil. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, now we're into the meat of what we're immersed in. We're into the, the, the deep part of what we're surrounded by when we walk outside these doors. We are to do no harm or injury to those who are harming and injuring. Now, this is the context for evil here. And it's not just with those who agree with us. So, this comes right out of Proverbs 24, verse 29. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he's done. Don't do that. Repay no evil. It's a tacit admission that evil is going to happen. 
What happens when it, when it shows up? How do we recognize it? And once we recognize it, what do we do? Well, the evil done by evil people is not to be retaliated against. And I want you to hold on to these. Let's go to our, our fifth item. Live peacefully. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Jesus knew that they lived in an alien culture. Paul understood this. And so far as they were able to do, the Jews had adopted a philosophy that said, without, that without violating our own beliefs, without sinning against our God, we are going to work hard to observe the customs of the people that we live among. Now, this is fantastic when we're looking at first century Palestine. Because we are so far disassociated from that that we don't really understand what it was like. But the culture that we're surrounded by right now says, wear a mask. Wear a mask. Well, I'm not wearing a mask. I've actually had people try to convince me that by putting a mask on, I'm sinning against God. You see how complicated this gets? You see how hard this gets? You see how self-centered we can become? It's easy for me to think like this. I'm not going to make them, I'm not going to let them make me do this. I answer to God. I don't answer to man. Live peacefully. Number six, never seek vengeance. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 32, starting with 35. Listen to this carefully. Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifice and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. And what this says is that the Lord sees everything that's going on and that everybody who works against him will be held accountable for their actions and that God will take vengeance upon them. Not us. Not us. Never seek vengeance. As a matter of fact, item number seven, feed your enemy. And item number eight, give him drink. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like having them over for dinner. So rather than take vengeance, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? It's out of Proverbs 25. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Martin Luther said that those burning coals that we heap upon our enemies as we show them compassion and grace and mercy are burning coals of grace. See, the enemies of God have no defense against grace. 
They have no defense against blessing. Feed your enemy, give them drink. And a ninth item, don't allow evil to control you. It's found in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with grace, not with more evil. We don't respond because all more evil does is generate more evil. And you know what I'm talking about. Who among us has ever won an argument by being angry? I mean, we kind of like being angry sometimes because we get excited about stuff. We know we're right. And sometimes we convince ourselves that if we just get angry enough, that the person we're arguing with will agree with us. It never happens. It never happens. All it does is make them more angry. This is the gist of what we're talking about. It's easy to become consumed by hate, by indignation, and return evil with more evil. It never works. And probably the worst situation that we're in right now is we're all surrounded. No matter where you stand, no matter where you are on the political spectrum or the cultural spectrum, wherever you stand, there are alarmists everywhere encouraging us to respond in like kind. Encouraging us to do the same thing. If they're taking the streets, we'll take them to the streets. And the ultimate end of that is not harmony. It's not peace. It's what we saw on TV this week. It is unbridled anger. It is unbridled selfishness. I want to call it for what it is. And that needs to be condemned no matter where you sit, no matter where you stand. People got so angry that people died. Oh, it wasn't our side that killed them. I wonder if they're concerned about that right now. Don't allow evil to control you. You control evil by doing good, by consciously doing good. So there's our our nine indicators of genuine love for our enemies. Bless your your persecutors. Rejoice and weep with them. Live in harmony with everyone around you. Repay no evil. Live peacefully insofar as it is possible. Never seek vengeance. Feed your enemy. Give them drink. And don't allow evil to control you. So, so what is genuine love? I I, want to look at what we've learned over the last two weeks. Because the Bible has just defined for us what genuine love is. And we did it with the 12 indicators of genuine love between uh, our friends and loved ones. We abhor evil. We hold fast to good. We love each other. We show each other honor. We're zealous. We're fanatical. We serve the Lord. We take joy and hope. We're patient. We pray unceasingly. We contribute to the needs of the saints and we're hospitable. See, the way we love each other is the evidence of God in us. It's the evidence of our transformation, that we've been changed, 
that we're no longer like the rest of the world, that God has done something in us and a transformation is going on inside us. And the way we're transformed is by God loving us. Didn't scripture tell us that we love God because he loved us first? And he loved us when we were friends with the world. When we were his enemies. See, this is why it's so important for us to understand what genuine love looks like when we share it with our enemies. So we are to bless our persecutors because God blessed us when we persecuted him. We're to rejoice and weep because God rejoices and weeps. God grieves over those who are lost. I think some people have this picture of God that he's up in heaven with some mighty hammer just crushing people like a bug. God grieves over that. And he weeps for joy when we come to him. So we've seen all the compassion that Christ had when he hung on the cross. God lives with us now in harmony because of the sacrifice he made for us. And God does not repay the evil that we do with evil. Somebody say, praise God. I mean, if he did, we'd all be in trouble. He never seeks vengeance for those things that we've done against him. As a matter of fact, he vented it on his only son so that we could be with him. He's fed us. He's given us drink. And it's not just physical food and water. He's fed us the the, the spiritual food, the bread of life, the, the water of life. He's nourished us. He's grown us. And he has not allowed evil to control him. So that as we look at who we were and who we are and who we're becoming, we realize that we are to love our enemies the way God loved us when we were his enemies. To witness to the world. He sent his son to prove his love for us and to bring us back into relationship with him. So while we were standing on that beach in Florida, and the, the, the storm began to subside. Rescue teams were driving all around. Had a couple of EMTs stop, came up and said, are you okay? Binding our wounds, bandages here and there. Nobody got hurt, not nobody in my crowd. But they said, are you okay? And they showed compassion. I thought, oh, wow, I thought they'd be mad at us. But the girl that put band-aids on me looked at me and said, don't ever do anything that foolish again. You should have known a storm was coming. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that a storm is coming. I believe that God intends to test us on these things. I believe that we're to stand up and be everything that God has designed the church to be. I think there are hard days coming for the evangelical church. I pray that I'm proven wrong. But I told you last week that I feel that my job is to equip you for these hard times so that we don't get blindsided by them. I can come up here and give you great object lessons and tell you beautiful stories that will just ring your ears. But what I want 
is I want you to be equipped with the word of God. I want you to be ready. Because God knows this storm is coming. And he's sending people to the church to tell them to get ready. We're to get ready. How do we get ready? We arm ourselves with the word of God. We begin walking it out. We begin doing these things that God calls us to do. These are hard things. But as the climate around us continues to change, as it, you know, we've gone through this process, I mentioned it before, Many years ago, we were tolerated, but everybody thought we were good guys because we went to church, talked about Jesus. And then there was a subtle shift. We became a little bit of an aggravation, and now, now we have become haters and bigots. Look around you. All the signs are there. No politician is going to save us and turn this around. It's not going to happen. And the longer we put our hope, the longer we anticipate that somebody in Washington, D.C. is going to defend us and deliver us, the more disappointed we're going to be. So I want to vote. I want to know who my candidates are. But I want to read my Bible. I want to turn to my Father in heaven and say, what would you have me do in this moment? I'm pretty confident that it's not breaking into somebody's house and start destroying, destroying things. I asked you last week if you were with me. This is going to be hard. But I believe that God is preparing us. And I pray that you believe that too. And I pray that as we move forward, that we learn how to let our love be genuine. So we have a lot of people that are watching us right now that feel a little bit left out. It's natural. We've been cooped up for 10 months, but we're still a body, brothers and sisters. Everybody sitting in here, everybody at home, we're still part of the body of Christ. We're still part of Warrington Bible Fellowship. So I want to say a blessing on us. I'm going to ask those of you that are comfortable to come forward, and we're going to turn around and greet the people that are watching us. Those of you that are comfortable, come forward. And please, if you're not comfortable, don't feel pressured to come forward. Praise God. And to our brothers and sisters online, we say we love you. We miss you. There will be a day when we are all able to worship together. Meantime, God has given us this medium to do this in. May God bless you. Now let me say a blessing over everybody. May the joy of the day be yours. May the joy of the week be yours. May the joy of this coming year be yours. May the joy of the Father be yours. May the joy of the Spirit be yours. May the joy of the Son be yours. May you experience joy forever and ever, and may it be yours everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you. Have a great day.